The other thing with having low level empathy, do I have any, is anyone else who you're pretty low on the empathy scale? I'm like about one out of 10. Uh, yeah, yeah, you'd need to be in your job. Shav's a surgeon, you'd need to be low on empathy, yeah. Uh, whereas my wife, Chrissy, if, if I'm one out of 10 with empathy, Chrissy is about 11 out of 10 on empathy, right? And so um, the challenge is that I'm not very good at looking after me either. One of the challenges for us who are low empathy people is we don't give a crap how we feel either. Uh, and it can be a bit of a challenge. And I've found, I've had to, in preparing for, in reading the book Love, I thought I actually need to do a better job of loving me uh, and, uh, and, and loving me myself tenderly. Uh, which sounds, I know that sounds very creepy and weird, but anyway. But also, one of the things we have to do with, in terms of tough love, is about having honest conversations. And we need to have some of those honest conversations to ourselves as well. Um, we've got a subtitle today. So tough love, it's not really about being, being sort of a hard-headed, uh, you know, bossy person who tells the truth, tells people where it's at. It's really about can we live the truth? Can we live truth together? Uh, can we live truthfully? Can we relate at an honest truth level? Or are we not tough enough to have the hard conversations that are necessary? Uh, and truth such an important thing. Honesty is such an important thing. I don't know. Um, remember the old days with, uh, with um, classified ads? Do you remember classified ads in the newspaper? Some, yeah, about three, 30% of the people remember those. But before Trade Me existed, Trade Me used to be printed out on a weekly basis in the back of the newspaper. And there was always, I always used to, I can remember as a kid reading those strange, reading and wondering what on earth they were, the he, she seeks him, he seeks her ads, you know, like 39-year-old single woman seeks 30 to 49-year-old man who enjoys, every for some reason, always long walks on the beach, uh, you know, relaxing evenings by the fire, happy to live with 15 to 18 cats, um, you know. And then it, always, it would always end with something like, you know, uh, obviously these ads always end with something like, you know, uh, passive-aggressive manipulators welcome to apply, you know, people with long-standing dishonesty and, you know, general misbehavior in relationships uh, preferred. Or, you know, or the wanted ad, you know, wanted, you know, uh, workers for a busy restaurant business, growing restaurant business, you know, obviously two to three years of service experience, you know, and a, preferably a long track route of dishonesty, lots of sick days, uh, and general misconduct. You know, the reality is, is the ads never end like that because every single relationship, from a romantic relationship to a business relationship to getting a ride in Uber is all based around truth. Do you know, I was trying to get a ride in Uber with me and some pastor friends. We were Uberizing because it's actually cheaper than the Airbus, and, um, except that I'm the smallest of the pastors. So, I, yeah, so I need to, because I always have to sit in the middle at the back. <laughs> like that, I'm, like, I'm like, man, I've been pastor longer than you, and I, you know. And uh, actually, I might use that next time. Yeah. See, some of the, so yeah, uh, anyhow. We were Uberizing, and, and the Uber driver couldn't find us, even though we were standing on a GPS location, right? So, like, anyone, like, can you just follow the GPS, right? And then, because he couldn't find us, he had to ring us, and he was in the wrong place, and we were in the right place. And then he just canceled the ride. Then we can't do bad feedback. So he just canceled the ride so we couldn't feedback him for turning up in the wrong place. Isn't that weird? Even, even something as simple as that, for it to go smoothly, it's based on a level of trust. It's based on, on some honesty. It's based on how are we going to, you know, uh, uh, it's based on that. It's the fundamentals of relationship, oh, no. Hey, we might ditch the screen for now. Is that all right? 
That one's not so great. That says the fundamental. Are you going to have a go at fixing it, Johnny? Okay. So I'll, I'll leave it up there because it, you can sort of read it. The fundamentals of relationship are truthfulness, upfront communication, openness, authenticity, some reliability. Every relationship is built around these things. You know, Jesus said some interesting stuff. Let's see if we can see some of these, what Jesus said. Uh, there we go. We can almost see it. It says this. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law. Now, if in the old translations, it says, woe to you, teachers of religious law. Woe to you, religious people, right? In fact, this is one of, in this chapter, Matthew 23, the whole chapter, just about half the chapter is just Jesus saying, woe, woe, you religious people. This is what you do wrong. This is what you do wrong. This is what you do wrong. And it's just, it reads like a rant. Like, read this. You teachers of religious law, you hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets that your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we'd lived in those days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Right? This is Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is Jesus, the good shepherd. This is a Jesus who is the definition, he's the revelation of the love of God. What's Jesus doing in this situation? Is he just being hard nuts and just going crazy? No, he's actually desperate for religious leaders of the day to see accurately where they stood before God. He's not ranting out of his own frustration or his own anger. He's just desperate and passionately desiring for the people he's speaking to to rise to a level where they can receive God's grace or actually to humble themselves to a level where they can receive God's grace and experience his blessing. And Jesus is just Jesus telling the truth. This is Jesus confronting the issues. Now, I don't recommend you ring your mother-in-law and use any of this language. Right? I don't, I don't recommend you ring, you know, someone from Form 2 that you had a fight with and just blout, belt out some of this. But some of the issues in our life, we have to be brave enough to confront what's going on. And that bravery comes from love. We have to love other people enough that we're prepared to go to uncomfortable spaces to speak the truth to them about how their behavior is missing the mark. How many you know that that's not as simple as it might first sound? Right? You've got to ask yourself, why would you tell the truth? Why would you bother telling the truth? You know, if Jordan's got BO and if Jordan's got bad habits, if Jordan's annoying, why would you bother sitting down with Jordan and telling him the truth about his personal hygiene or his bad jokes or whatever, right? Why would you tell the truth? The question you've got to ask yourself is, where would you be right now today without the people who have taken the time to tell you the truth? For instance, let's start with your mum. Your mum's probably the person who's told you the most truth throughout your life, right? Where would you be, Isaac, without your mother, right? Where would we be if you didn't have a mother like yours? We wouldn't be able to relax in your own presence, right? The reality is the people who have told us the truth, the people who have lined us up, whether it's a, a fourth form dean or it's our grandparent or it's a policeman down the street or it's the, the old man that you hit, you know, you hit his car with lemons, right? When people line us up sometimes and address the issues, our husbands and our wives, when, they, when they've been forced to the point of having to confront things in our lives, the, their bravery, their courage has brought blessing into our life as we've been able to hear the truth, right? 
Because where would we be without someone else sharing the truth? And we have actually a responsibility in the lives of others in our church family and in our families in general to speak the truth in relationships. Amen? Point number two is it's actually easier to see someone else faulting than to see it for yourself. Now, this is obvious. This is why we have professional supervision for engineers and counselors and pastors and everybody else. That's why you have uh, management in a workplace. Because you need some, some people need to be looking for things that are, we're missing, and you need people externally looking for things that are missing, right? This is why we have, dance studios have got mirrors, right? With, without the invention of a mirror, dance would not have evolved to the level that it has right now, right? Without dance studios having mirrors, then you'd never get the feedback that you need. And that's what we can be in someone's world, it's just a mirror. This is why we have hairdressers, right? Because sometimes you need someone else to see what's going on, right? How, you know, when you cut your hair yourself, I guarantee you'll miss some of it. The only way you can guarantee consistency in cutting your hair yourself, the only way you can do it is if you shave it all off completely, right? That's the option, right? Or else, or else get very close to it. You know, one day I was cutting my hair. This is before I went for stylish haircuts at the barber. Uh, and I, I was cutting my hair with the, with the Remington Clippers from Briscoe's. And I done. It was my hair was about this long, and then I was knocking it back to number two, and not yeah. Anyway, number two comb, and I was cutting away, cutting away, cutting away, and I done about that much, and then the clippers. That's when the clippers stopped. Yeah, yeah. So I had like around my ears and the back was all there, and I'd taken that out. It's actually I think the photo might actually be on Facebook. Uh, it was a it was a happy day. So I put on a hat. Went down to Briscoe's, spent another $25, and we were all away laughing. But this is why we do church as well. This is why we gather together. This is why we worship God together, because we actually need each other. The, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, and so one person's countenance sharpens another person's countenance. Your countenance is everything that comes is the expression of your life, not just the expression of your face. It's the expression of your life. Now, how do you know it's easy enough to change the expression on your face? You just drive to church, you put a pen in your by the time you get here, you will have your, your smile muscles are all stretched up so you can, hello, other Christians, look at me, I'm a Christian too. I'm smiling at church. Right, take the pen out, obviously, before you get in the building. So it's easy enough to change the expression of your face, very hard to change the actual expression of who you are. Right, that actually takes time and it takes a journey. You need God to work deep inside you. And that's actually the expression of your life actually shapes the expression of my life. And the way it does it is the same way that an iron sharpens iron. So the clashing of your expression and my expression, we sharpen each other, that we allow each other to grow better. How many of you know that's actually exciting? That being in a church and, and connecting in a small group or, or, or serving in a team, right? It sharpens us and allows us to grow following Jesus. I don't think for, I don't think it's, I'm absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced. It's impossible to become everything God's called you to be without being actually knitted into a church community, serving in that church community, contributing to it. I'm not suggesting, I'm not telling you that it's really nice to be part of a church community, right? How many of you know that Duncan, Duncan Tyler, he just looks amazing. Duncan's got a, he's got a fine looking body now, Right now, but you, if you if you're a friend like I am of Duncan's, he'll show you the before photos before he decided I'm going to go to the gym and and get fit again, uh, you know, right? But how many you know that going to the gym and committing to it and and being there uh, three times a week, right? At the gym, how many know that wasn't always comfortable? 
In fact, do you know how many times it was comfortable? No times. Every single time it was a challenge and it was pressure, but it's changed him physically, right? That's just an example of what happens in our spiritual journey. You've got to be connected and committed and knitted in to get the value out of being part of a church. To actually, to the Bible talks about our community together, or theologians, sorry, talk about it. Our community together is actually a place where God dispenses grace. It's one of the places where God dispenses grace. So theologians would say when we take communion together, which we do in church, but you can do that other times as well, when we, when, we, when we pray and we worship, but also when we gather together in fellowship, God dispenses grace. We have access to who God is. So everyone say, yeah, for church. Everyone give me a yeah. That was, a very, that was quite a good yeah. Actually, some people over there, that was good. Being connected, being that I'm not suggesting it's always, hey, I go to church because it's great fun. No, it's, it's, we hope that it's great fun. We're not trying to make it terrible, right? <laughs> but, but actually being in a church, being in small group, looking at the videos, discussing things, praying together, that's where we sharpen each other. Amen? Very good. Let me just see if I can click to the next one. Okay, we've got a problem. Johnny, Johnny, run back and click me the next one. <sighs> okay, why tell the truth? <laughs> because we love people, we have to be prepared to fight for the truth so we can build the relationships that we need to build. There's two paradigm shifts that I want you to consider. Is that all right? Hope you know what a paradigm shift is. Right? A paradigm shift is where we actually shift in our way of thinking about things. And um, you're, are you right there, Johnny? Ooh, there you go, paradigm shifts. Um, have, this first question is this one, because um, I'm imagining all of us know how to just get along, right? And sometimes we just get along in our workplace or in our family relationships or even in a husband and wife relationship. question we've got to ask ourselves, sometimes, ask ourselves sometimes is, are we telling the truth or are we keeping the peace? Am I, am I a truth teller or am I just a peacekeeper? Now, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, but, but a peacekeeper sort of is like a peacemaker, right? But a peacekeeper always does whatever's necessary just to keep the peace. Just to avoid a conflict, I'm just always going to agree. Now, I'm, I'm one of these people who tends towards peacekeeping, right? Right? I always tend to, like, if I'm talking to you about, you know, whatever rugby team you support, I'll support them too while I'm talking to you. Right? And then if I'm talking to someone else about the rugby team, they support, I'll be supporting them. Right? The reality is, that's just an example, but sometimes we're in the position where whatever someone else says or when, when someone comes to us with their pressure or they put pressure on us, then we just back down away from what we know is true sometimes just to keep the conversation at a polite sort of a level or whatever we think is going to be something that we can manage. Or sometimes we don't disagree with someone because we don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable or we don't want to make them uncomfortable uncomfortable, which we've got to ask ourselves, are we committed to community well-being or are we committed to comfort? And I would, I would suggest to you in church, I would like to empower you in our church to say, let's commit, let's be committed to our well-being as a church family. Uh, let's, in, our, in our small groups, let's, you know, as the group develops, obviously not the first time you gather, but as you build relationships, Hopefully over time, there's permission to begin speaking the truth in appropriate ways and motivated like Jesus was, motivated by love for somebody else. Rather than just saying, well, I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation with, uh, with so-and-so because I don't want to make them uncomfortable and I don't want to make me uncomfortable. But for us to all grow, we've got to be committed to well-being. Everyone say well-being. Okay, now we don't really have an option, right? 
Um, because confrontation is God's plan for growth. If iron sharpens iron and my countenance sharpens your countenance, your countenance sharpens my countenance, this is how God's going to grow us, right? And I love Matthew chapter 18 goes through a whole process from, from verse 15 for a few verses. Jesus talks about a, a whole process for us in dealing with conflict and, and bringing the truth to relationships. It says this, if another believer sins against you, it says uh, you should go privately to that person point out the other person, point out the offense. And if the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back, right? How many people know that that is probably, I don't know, it's a few words there. One verse, it's one verse. If someone else is pissing you off, right? Is that what it says? Sins against you. That you know, If someone else is not meeting, when, when, so take the whole sinning against God thing out of this, because this is, God's not in this, but well, God, the paradigm here is if someone else sins against you. So how do we sin against God? That's when we don't come up to God's standard, right? So when someone doesn't come up to your standard, which is not God's standard, right? Then your levels of judgment aren't God's levels of judgment, although you would like to have a lake of fire at your disposal as well, right? For, for, for obvious reasons, you're not permitted that level of weaponry, Right? But sometimes rather than dealing with the sin or dealing with the fact that someone's offending us, someone's not coming up to our standard, we just keep the peace, right? So we just suck it up, right? The problem with doing that is you can only do that for so long before the rage inside of you has built to such a level that that other person is just casually crossing the street one day and you happen to be driving along. Right, And in a moment of madness, you run them down. Now, this is what we need to avoid. We've got to deal with things before they destroy us internally or they explode out and cause a greater sort of rift. And that's what Jesus is saying. If someone else is not coming up to your standard, meet with them and talk about it. If they might see it too. They might suddenly see, oh, I can see how you have a standard that's pretty reasonable or you have a standard that's different to mine and I can see how I'm not coming up to your way of maybe your standard around communication, maybe your standard around relationship, maybe your standard around friendship. And, and you, could, you could somehow meet in the middle maybe or maybe the person's completely in the wrong and they realize it for the first time. You're right. And then you could, you've won the situation. There's connection again. There's relationship again. Right? One verse from Jesus, how many know that, that that might take six months? Right? This is I'm not suggesting you just bring someone up today and just solve the problem, right? But I'm am suggesting that you can make a commitment, say, I'm gonna go on a journey to investigate where are these situations in my life where I could see God turn things around, okay? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's probably everybody in the room has got someone's name in mind that you could talk to about an issue, right? One of the things that prevents me from talking to people about issues when I know there's issues need to be talking about is that I always, one of the things I know is that it's a two-way street. As soon as, you, as, soon as I sit down with, let's say, let's say Alan has been, uh, been offensive around church. He's been telling off-color racist jokes again. Uh, and I think, I need to confront Alan about this. I mean, <laughs> you should be laughing because it's not going to happen, right? So I, should confront, I need to confront Alan about this. I know that as soon as I sit down with Alan and say, oh, look, this is, I've noticed this, this. This is below the standards that we have as a community, right? Uh, how many know that that's a great opportunity for Alan to bring up the issues that he's noticed in me that are perhaps below the standards? that we have as a community, right? And so sometimes I'll tell myself, well, I don't want to hurt Alan's feelings, 
but whose feelings am I really worried about? I'm really worried about my own feelings. And I know that because if we enter into, here's the deal. If actually, if we start taking some responsibility for engaging some truth with other people, the blessing of it is that those other people then feel the, re, the, the, uh, the relationship. They feel the ability to address truth in us, right? Which is what we all want, isn't it? That's how we grow. You know, one of my, um, one of a friend of a friend, um, I, I only know the guy sort of uh, very spuriously. He, yeah, anyway, I won't tell you how I know him. But um, uh, he, he is a musician. He was a school teacher. And then he was also coaching a school rugby team. And then he was coaching a, a club rugby team in um, like Papakura or somewhere like that, coaching the seniors in Papakura. And then when Tana Umanga, uh, went to take over counties. He was looking around for another backs coach, such someone to help with people. And then this guy, Glenn's his name, got picked. Oh, you could come and help uh, coach the team. He's like, oh, it's a bit of a step up from, you know, the, the uh, Papakura seniors. But, you know, anyway, so yeah, just helping out. And, you know, he's helping the backs. And he's talking to more of the backs. And, and then this guy, Sonny Bill Williams, joins the county's Manukau team, right? And so then this guy, Glenn, is coaching, is coaching Sonny Bill Williams. Right, it was a bit overwhelming, you know. At training, there'd be three thousand people there watching. As with Sunny Bill was there, there's a you know big crowd watching, and um, you know if he's playing on a Saturday, the place would be packed out. And you know, this guy Glenn is, was telling a friend of a friend about the whole process of coaching Sunny Bill Williams, because he's got a big profile, and you know what's he like, and all that sort of stuff. And two things that Glenn said is that. Uh, at least two hours after every other player from every both other teams has left the field, Sonny Bill Williams is still signing autographs and talking to people, taking photos. And at one training session after he'd been there for a week, Sonny Bill, after the training, comes to Glenn and he just says, oh, I haven't been, I, I'm just new on the team and uh, I haven't played much leading into coming in because he'd had injury or he'd changed from another team. And he just said, my, pa- my pass on my left hand is not working. He said, can you watch me? Can you watch me do it and figure out what I'm doing wrong? Uh, and I just thought, wow. Who's this guy, Glenn? You don't know who Glenn is. Sonny Bill Williams didn't know who Glenn was. But Sonny Bill Williams knows that, hey, I need a coach to see what I'm doing if I'm going to be the best that I can be. And how many, how many of us are so committed to our image that we forget and we don't, we're not actually committed, not loyal to the, where we're really at? Because we're committed to maintaining, hey, everything's all good. And we, we lose our commitment to say, okay, who are the Glens in my life? Don't need to be a superstar. Don't need to be awesome. Just someone who I can trust to look at what I'm doing and let me know what I'm doing wrong. How many know there's some freedom if we can find that level of humility, right? Okay, if we're going to follow Jesus' advice and confront issues in other people, right? Some of you, like 30, 50% of you are like, yeah, come on. Now we've got, I've got permission to line John up and tell him what I really think. Ah! Right? And others of you are like, oh, my God. No, please, no one talk to me. No, 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 no one offend me because I never want to have to follow this through. Right? But the reality is it does not, it's not supposed to be a big drama, right? With Offenses will come, and when an offense comes, we just need to be quick to say, oh, let's connect, let's deal with it, let's figure out what the issue is. And so when we're doing it, there's four things we need to do. So first of all, we need to clarify the issue. What's really the issue? Is it a big deal? Is it really a big deal? Is it a permanent problem with this other person, or are they just having a bad day? 
Uh, is this something that we need to get into, or is it something that we can just that we can just watch for a bit and just figure out what's really at stake, right? Because sometimes someone might say something or do something that's offensive, but when you stop and think about it and clarify what's really going on, you can see that it was more situational than character-based, right? So, for instance, let's say Jono, Jono drops one of these stage units when we're packing up. He drops it on his foot. Let's say that in that moment, Jono swears. I don't probably need to k- catch up with Jono and talk to him about swearing, right? What we need to do is not drop stage units on people's feet, right? Because it was a situational response. It's not really a good indication of what Jono's true character is, right? So we need to clarify the issue. Uh, number two, we need to cleanse our own spirit. Now, that's a bit of, that's some, a, bit of a mumbo-jumbo cleans our own spirit. sounds a bit incense and splashing of water. That's not really what it is. Matthew chapter 7 says this, 35 to 5. <laughs> so if you, if you can read from verse 35 backwards to verse 5, there's a hidden message <laughs> clearly about the cleansing of spirits. Uh, yeah. If you say each word backwards, you know, locked doors will open. No, sorry. Forget the five. Just from verse 35, uh, I think it's to 37. But anyway, Jesus is talking and he says, um, how can you get the splinter out of someone else's eye when you have a log in your own eye? And Jesus, Jesus is referring to the magic of perspective. It's a splinter in someone else's eye. But when it's in your own eye, it completely blocks your view. The same splinter as a log, right? Do you get it, right? So if I'm just pointing this out, that if you had an actual log in your eye, you'd be aware of it, right? But Jesus is making the point that you have a, you're completely blocked in your own view sometimes. The same, the problem, see, the, the, the tiny problem in someone else, because of your perspective and the way you see it, is actually a big problem in you. Their little problem is actually God's way of highlighting in you your big problem, right? So somebody else does things differently, but your problem is that you're wildly intolerant of people who do things differently. And the reality is sometimes when an offense comes, you clarify the issue, then you come to number two and you realize that there's no problem with somebody else here. I actually have to do some some work in me. I don't need to sit down with this other person and, and, and tell them what's going on with them. I need to sit down with somebody and say, hey, I've, this is what's happened, and I've noticed that I've got this thing. And Jesus is just saying, first remove the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to help other people, right? So it doesn't mean no other people don't have problems, but it does mean other people's problems, the first priority is to allow them to point out to us our own problems so we can deal with them. And sometimes that's the end of the story. We don't need to make, a, uh, make an appointment for lunch with somebody. We can just deal with our issues ourselves. Is that cool? Hey, this is actually a really good sermon. Just pointing it out. It's a very good sermon. Uh, you know, I'm actually, as I'm preaching, I'm thinking, this is some, a lot of good advice here. A lot of good advice. I'm thinking of doing some of these things myself. It says this one, carefully select a time and place. So, for instance, if I've decided it's, a good, it's, it's time to talk to Christine about some of her habits that are bothering me, right? And let's, so I get home, let's say I get home from work at 5 or 5.30, 6 o'clock, and uh, let's, say, so, uh, let's say Chrissy is managing whoever's job it is to do cooking. So someone's cooking and Chrissy's managing, and Chrissy's also trying to get some quotes out for the business before the end of the working day. Uh, the TV is on about 40 uh, you know, playing Teletubbies, you know, whatever it is, um, so, you know. 
Um, someone's got to get to soccer practice. Someone's still on the bus coming home from high school. And I come home and I say, Chrissy, I just wanted to talk to you about some issues in your life, right? How many people know that that's a conversation that's going to go badly, particularly if Chrissy's cutting vegetables at the time and has a sharp knife in her hand, right? The reality is the time and place, sometimes we would never, maybe we'd never be that crazy, but sometimes we are that crazy about when we choose to talk about an issue, right? Sometimes we're literally that crazy. And usually it's because we haven't done step one and step two. We haven't allowed our emotions to settle and think about what's really going on, what are the issues that we need to grow through and challenge. Come on, husbands and wife, we could do each other a favor by thinking about how we talk and when we talk. What's the time and place? Even sometimes we have to create the time and place where we can have these conversations. If you're in a busy, busy season, you're going to have to create some space to talk about issues. And you're going to have to talk about issues. So if you don't get around to creating the time and space, the issues won't go away. How many people know I've, I've been married 20 years this year, and one of the things I've learned is this, the problems that go away by themselves come back by themselves, Right? We actually have to deal with things and learn how to deal with them. Same with our kids and in family. When we're trying to build this culture that we want, we've got to actually address things. And time and place is really important. And praying. Oh, yeah, praying. We could actually ask for God to be in the situation, speaking to the parties involved, for the Holy Spirit to move. Bill Hybels in the book says this, when we prepare properly for a confrontation, we've done half of the job. So... It's really the big, the big job is in the preparation because that's what's going to allow things to work. Then we're going to talk tough, right? Even say talk tough. So once you've toughened up, you think, okay, I've got to address some issues for somebody and, I'm gonna, and I'm, I've, I've thought about it. I've got worked in my own life. I'm ready to do it. I've organized it. The first thing you do in the conversation is we need to state, you need to carefully state your sincere commitment to the relationship. The context in which you're going to confront someone is your sincere commitment to the relationship. If you can't make that statement sincerely, don't have the conversation. Really, if, if you're going to speak to me about issues in my life, uh, if you can't begin that conversation by saying, Jordan, I love you and I'm committed to you becoming everything that you can be. I love the fact that you're the pastor of our church, but I want to talk to you about some issues, right? If you can't say that to me in a way that I'm convinced that you really do believe in me, then the rest of the conversation is not going to be helpful for me and it's not going to be helpful for you, right? When there's a sincere commitment to relationship, then we can help each other, right? Then you can help me become a better me and I can help you become a better you. Secondly, it says we've got to make a, a, a clear, which means not confusing, not rambling, not random, but a clear what is the word? A non-accusatory, there's a great word, non-accusatory statement of what's going wrong and, and how you feel. So we're to, the example, it's hard to say what non-accusatory is, but it's really easy to, 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 to explain what accusatory is. So when you, accusatory is when you feel, I feel a certain way, and it's because you are an idiot, right? You are so insensitive Whenever I speak to you, you feel like this. That's an accusatory statement, right? But a non-accusatory statement is when I say, uh, John O'Brown, when you were preaching on the last Sunday, I felt you said X, Y, Z. You said, and this is how I felt after you said that. Or I might say, John, uh, when I was walking down Lambda Key, I waved at you and you walked past with all your cool friends from the MSD. You walked past and you completely blanked me. Now, that's just a statement. You walked past, you ignored me. And I felt left out. I felt, I felt sad. And, it, and it, I just haven't been able to get it out of my spirit. 
right? So I'm not saying, Johnny Brown, you're deeply insensitive, you're rude, you're obnoxious, uh, you, you know, uh, you, you, you clearly got everything wrong inside of you, you're not a proper Christian. Uh, I actually had a dream about you and you had devil's horns and 666 tattooed across your forehead. So you're not accusing somebody, you're just simply stating, this is what was said or this is what was done, and then you say, this is how I feel. So you're not saying what you, so you might feel like what so-and-so did was, the, was evil incarnate, was the worst act of human violence ever committed against another person. That's how you feel, but that's not truth. The truth is what was done, and then, then you say, and this is how I feel. I feel sad. I feel mad. I feel bad, right? And then thirdly, this is the bit that most people don't get right, and certainly this is the bit I find difficult, is that if you're going to confront someone else, then it needs to be a conversation. I'm committed to this relationship. You said this. I felt X, Y, or Z. Am I understanding? Is my, are my feelings based? Are they, are they real? Am I, am I overreacting? Question mark for the other person to answer. Have I got the story straight? Is that real? Is this how you feel about me? And then they can say, yes, that's how I feel about you. Or they can say, or they can say no. Uh, uh, you know, and then you can talk it back and forward, and it might be, it might be at the end of this conversation, you have as many things to deal with in your own self as the other person might do, but you know what, that's a good thing, it's a good thing when we, when we can humble ourselves and get Glenn to help us with our left hand pass, it's a good thing, that's what makes us the player that God's calling us to be. That's what allows us to, to grow into the, the parent, the adult, the husband, the wife, the, the, the leader in our workplace. That's what allows us to be the Christian God's called us to be in our city if together we can grow in truth, right? Not everyone sounds convinced. It's a simple process, right? But there's some power in it. I think possibly of everything I've preached— in the history of my, of my preaching career, if it's a career, I think some of what I'm saying today is, that, is some of the most powerful things in terms of us growing and moving forward. If we grow and move forward, we can impact the city the way God's called us to, right? Do you know, you can't be who God's called you to be without other people in this room speaking to you about uncomfortable things. I can't be the people, the people, the person God's called me to be without people in this room speaking to me about uncomfortable things so that we can grow. We're, do you know what we are? We're called Equippers Church, right? We're not called, we're not called Comfy, Cozy, Happy Church, right? How many know that that would be a great church to go to, right? But hard to follow through on a promise like that, Happy Church. But we can follow through on Equipping Church. We can be people who help each other grow, Right? Whether it's informally, just in who we are, or whether actually sometimes we actually take the opportunity to speak into someone's life. We talk every week about being part of a, a small group. It's not, a, it's not because we want everyone into a small group because we think you've all got way too much spare time. But actually, some of these dynamics don't happen on a Sunday. Sometimes on a Sunday, you don't build the relationship you need to have so that these conversations can happen. Because you can't bowl up to a perfect stranger and say, hey, what's your name? You know, I've just noticed this about you, right? You can't do that. It's against the rules, right? You literally can't do that. That is offensive, right? But once there's relationship, then there's opportunity for these sorts of conversations to happen in a natural way where we can grow together. So that's why we say be in a small group, serve in a team, right? It's not, it's not just like, hey, we need more helpers. Do you know what? We don't need more helpers. We literally got it covered. Do you know what? We have opportunity for people to serve in a team in a way that you can grow. 
where you can, where God can develop you so you can be everything God's called you to be. Amen. So the last thing, a couple of last things to think about. Let me double check the time. Uh, uh, tough love or, or, or truth in relationship does get results, but there's no guarantees. When we make the decision to confront something in somebody else, they don't have to agree with us. And in fact, we might be wrong, right? They don't have to agree with us. Even if we're right and we have the truth on our side, they don't have to agree with us. They don't have to apologize. They don't have to change anything about themselves. They simply don't have to, right? The problem in life is that you have ever tried to make someone do what they don't have to do? Trying to make a Labrador run? Like the, the Labrador knows that it doesn't have to run. It's not going to run, right? doesn't matter how hard you drag it. And, and other people see things differently to us, right? Sometimes you, we all need to bring a mediator, a third person into a conversation to, to deal with it, right? Um, some people just take time. So after the confront, confrontation, it might be months later before they actually, the truth of it realizes. Maybe your conversation is with someone is just what opens the door, and then God brings someone else along to have another conversation, and then, then they hear a sermon, and then they hear something in the e-group, and then they hear a song on the radio, and then God opens up their heart, and they realize, oh, actually, God, you're speaking to me about this. But that was 18 months later, right? All of you do things slowly and respond slowly, right? Put your hand up if you respond slowly from time to time, right? We all respond slowly to God. So when we're confronting something, let's do it with an open hand. Just say, hey, I've noticed this, and I'm bringing this to your attention for your benefit, right? And if they say, no thanks, you can just, you can just leave it there, right? Rather than like with a dagger hand. Ah, 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 ah. And the reality is some people never respond. Some people are going to be jerks forever, right? <laughs> and do you know what? You have to love those people. We have to be loving. We have to not just be loving. We have to love those people. We don't have to have them around our house every Wednesday. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to. We don't have to be their best friend, but we do have to love them and believe God's got their best plan for them. Amen. It's worth the fight. Romans says this: that if it's possible, if at all possible, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with other people. Do your bit not to keep the peace and smooth things over, but to make for peaceful living. Come on, in your, in your marriage, come on, married people, are you doing everything possible on your side? Are you doing everything possible to make that a marriage of peace, of shalom, which means the blessing of God, the overflowing blessing of God? So it just does, doesn't just mean peace and quiet, right? How many know that a peace and quiet type marriage is not always a peace marriage? You can be quiet and it can be very not peasy. Sometimes the quieter things are, the more dangerous they are, right? As much as it's possible for us. I've got some homework for you. How many people would like some homework? But you could do this right now because we've got a bit of time. Just have a little moment of reflection just as Jack's playing so beautifully. What, when was the last time you decided not to address an issue in truth? You just thought, oh, I'll just can't be bothered. Or you just held back from it in a, in a relationship, maybe in your marriage, maybe with family, maybe in church or in workplace. How did it go? How's it gone over the last six months? Is there, is there something you could do differently or would do differently in that relationship? 
to bring truth, to live truth together with that person. Maybe think of a relationship in your world with this scripture in mind. As, if it's possible, as much as it depends upon you. Is there a relationship in the world where actually there's more you could do to bring peace? Not to keep the peace, but to bring peace, to bring things together to a place of truth? What would it take for you to be brave and toughen up and do something about it? Have you got a, is, is, there, is it time to really make a plan? Begin to pray? Maybe you need to begin clarifying the issue, cleansing your own spirit of whatever's going on praying into it and seeing what God could do. Maybe you need to talk to a mentor or a coach who can say, oh, actually, maybe they can bring they can bring some truth, some extra perspective to it as well. You know, Jesus said this interesting statement in John 4. He's talking to the woman at the well, and the woman was talking all about religious protocols and processes and cultural ideas of should we lift our hands in worship or should we go to church at uh, Quibbers Church or should we go to church somewhere else? And Jesus said this, there's a time coming, and indeed the time is right now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who worship in spirit, in that way, spirit and truth. God is a spirit. If we're worshiping God, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we connect to God in spirit. So God's great. He's awesome. His love for us is extended to the world. But then we ha- it touches us. His grace touches us, transforms us, right? That's yeah, right. <laughs> but it's not enough to just worship God in spirit. Well, God's touched my spirit. He's set me free. Do you know the freedom that God brings us is not just spirit. God set me free, and when I die, I go to heaven. That, that's, do you know what that's worth praising God for? But even greater than that, God's Spirit's touched us in a way where we can actually extend our hands to the left and extend our hands to the right and embrace people around us and actually live in truth. So not just set free in our spirit, but set free in our the way we behave, the way we live, and the relationships that make up our life. We can live a spirit and truth kind of life, and that's who God's looking for. Not for people who fulfill a religious obligation, but for people who have been touched by the grace, the power, and the mercy of God, and who can extend their hands and love others the way they will be loved. That's what Jesus said for us to do. Worship in Him in spirit and in truth. When you close your eyes and bow your heads, I want to pray two times, and then we're going to pray for someone in church before we finish with a great song of praise. Maybe you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or a decision to acknowledge Jesus. Well, we, we believe the Bible teaches clearly that God Himself came in human form and died in our place, and that Jesus, dead for days, was risen again, and appeared at one time to over 500 of his followers where he told them again about the kingdom before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, Jesus himself is the ruler and the Lord of everything we see and everything invisible. He is the greatest. And when, when we come to a point where in our life where we can acknowledge Jesus, acknowledge that he's Lord and, and acknowledge his sacrifice for us, asking him to forgive our sins, when we do that, the Bible says the barrier between us and God, between us and God's love, is broken down because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And in church, churches like Equippers, we like to close our service, giving everybody an opportunity to acknowledge Jesus, either for the very first time, or perhaps you want to acknowledge Him 
it's a recommitment. Maybe you've made the decision in the past, but today you're deciding, I need to recommit my life to Jesus. Maybe you've walked away from God, and today you find yourself back in a place where God's speaking to you. I want to give you that opportunity now as well. So while everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, and it's just me looking, why don't you give me a wave and say, yeah, that's me. This morning, I'm acknowledging Jesus. Either it's an acknowledgement of Jesus for the very first time, or perhaps this is a recommitment. You're asking God to forgive your sins again and you're choosing again to follow Him. So I'm just looking around. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. And then once people have had a chance to respond, then we're going to pray. So I haven't seen anybody's hand yet, which is obviously there's no pressure to respond, but this is an opportunity. If you'd like to respond, I'd encourage you to do that now. Give me a wave, and then we're going to pray in just a second. Awesome. I haven't seen anybody's hand. So let's move on. I want to pray again. This morning, I I want to pray for people who... Uh, you know there are relationships in your world, maybe very close ones like a spouse, husband or wife, or partner, or, or, or perhaps further than that, maybe in your workplace or wherever, but there's relationships in your life where it's time for you to bring some truth to it. It's time for, to stop covering up issues, and it's time for you to actually, actually be brave. What I want to do is I've got, everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. I want you to feel like it's a private space, but I also want you to respond in faith. So if that's you, what I want you to do is just to lift your hands or open your hands in your lap, and I'm just going to pray, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to to be in that situation, to bring strength, to bring courage. There's Obviously, there's no shame in responding, but I I really want to give people an opportunity to respond so that as we pray, God can touch you in a situation, and you'll have the bravery to really face up to it and move forward. Here we go. Lord, I pray for those responding, either in their heart or by lifting their hands or opening their heart. Lord, I pray, Lord God, I pray that they'd have the courage, the confidence, confidence and the conviction. Lord God, to bring truth to relationships. Lord God, maybe there's a relationship that needs to be mended. Maybe there's just tension that needs to be resolved. But whatever's going on in every situation, Lord, I pray for the marriages in this church. Lord God, that that'd be strong truth marriages where people can be can speak the truth about how they feel, about how things are going. Lord, we pray in the workplace that we'd be people who bring truth to those. Lord, and for us as a church that we'd be able to live out the tough love that you modeled, Jesus, where you spoke the truth, desperate to see others come to a place of realization of where they were missing the mark. We pray that would be part of who we are as a church uh, in the, together, but also part of who we are as a church in this city. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, Amen.